All right, y'all ready to dig into Galatians tonight? Are you ready? Ready, set, go. Awesome. Man, I got to tell you, I was a little disappointed that I couldn't be here for all the awesome questions that they generated. <laughs> I don't think they've asked that many questions in yeah, any study we've had. Yeah, I think it was had. because I was by myself and they thought they could just they devour, pick on you? devour me. Yeah, yeah that's the right. Questions. So, I love I, you it. know, man, I've, I've been devoured before. It's nothing, right. It's nothing new. Right. <clears throat> you know, the funny thing is, as believers, we can use the words, I don't know. So it, I love those words. Yeah. It, it, love it can happen. Um, quick, just a couple quick announcements. We are going to try to quit right at 7 o'clock. I have got to run a pretty important errand right after church tonight, so we're going to try to be done right at 7 uh, so we can, um, so I can skedaddle. Normally that never happens, but it's just I got a major project going on at my house, and I got, I got, to, get it, I got to get it finished So tomorrow morning, early tomorrow morning. So we will dig into Galatians, have your Bible open. We're going to, do, we're going to go over some scriptures uh, first, about six panels worth of scriptures, and then we'll jump back in. In Galatians chapter 4, where the example of Hagar and Sarah is, which is where we left off when you were at home with, yeah. your, with your baby. So, yeah. so we'll dive in. Here we go. You ready? All right. Galatia, the church, the church, or the churches in Galatia, the Galatian churches, were planted during Paul's first missionary journey. True or false? True or False. True, yes, true. And there's the, there's the picture of, of where the map of where Paul went to plant those churches. You can see the green little highlighted area, that's Galatia. And so he, on those three loops, when he went through, he would loop through, then he would write, loop through, write uh, back to those churches and try to correct them. Uh, Galatia was a mess. Uh, after he planted it, they, they began to uh, drift into legalism. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, legalism is probably one of the more dangerous things that the church uh, that the church deals with from just a, a temptation point of view of, of wanting to take our salvation into our own hands. That's basically what legalism is, is to say that something we can do or some work that we can do will merit some form of salvation uh, with God. And we know that's false because what's the only way to get to God is through who? Faith, specifically faith in Jesus, right? Yeah. Not circumcision, not the law. That's what the Judaizers were trying to superimpose uh, up on the church at Galatians. Grace you just, alone you just jump, faith alone. jump in here anytime you want yeah, to, man. Just, grace just, alone just, through yeah. faith alone. That's all I was going right, to say. So what I did was, was I pulled some, some passages that were significant to me as I've studied this. And you think, I think you actually preached through this book uh, in the interim between... Uh, I did, yeah. Yeah. We, we I, weren't able to hit every single passage, but we hit quite a bit of it. Yeah, I listened to a couple yeah. of them when, I was, when, the, when we first started talking to the church. And I, I got a lot out of I can of them. tell you from mm-hmm. that study, yeah. Galatians has some of the deepest, most just intense theological sections in it. Um, just very, <laughs> yeah. very intense. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you get into chapter two, verses 17 through 18, uh, just very, very difficult. And when he talks about the offspring and all of that and the promise and all of that in chapter three, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot to wade through. So, yep. I mean, just a great deep book, theological yep. book. Awesome. So we're just going to breeze through these passages right quick. You can, you can look them up in your Bible if you'd like, or you can just read them off the screen with us. Here's one that was very, uh, very significant to me through the years. Uh, chapter one, verse eight. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Cursed, yeah. As we have said before, and I'm gonna say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I mean, that's a pretty clear, dire warning from Paul. The apostolic message from Paul and the other apostles is not to be changed at all by anybody. Okay, yeah. it's very important. Which is why it was so important that he defend his apostolic mm-hmm. ministry. Exactly. That it be legitimate. Right. Chapter 1, verse 23. They only are hearing it said, he, Paul, who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Chapter 2, verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, meaning that the gospel that the 12 were teaching and preaching lined up with the gospel that Jesus had gave Paul. So they gave the right hand of fellowship to him, saying that they were unified in their beliefs and what they were teaching, okay? Uh, Chapter two, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back 
and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Can somebody explain that briefly, what happened there? Anybody want to take a a stab at it? Jim? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So just to be sure we understand something, who was the legalizer in this situation? Was Paul the legalizer or was Peter the legalizer? Peter was the legalizer. Okay. It is not wrong. It is not legalism, nor is it harsh to call someone out on their hypocrisy. Can you amen that? It is very uncomfortable. It is very sociably unacceptable, but is absolutely biblical and mandated by Scripture that we call people out on their hypocrisy. And the nature of the call out on the hypocrisy is directly related to how public and scandalous it is. And in this case, how scandalous was it? Very scandalous. Yeah, this this was not, the distinction here was this was not a moral uh, debate. This was not... uh, uh, Peter was doing something, he was doing something morally long, wrong in misleading the Gentiles, but he was misleading them in an error that would damn them, that would, send, that, that would uh, inevitably send them to hell because they would believe that they needed something. It was adding a qualification onto uh, salvation, uh, the qualification for salvation to be saved. And so this is why Paul calls him out because it's wrong doctrine, mm-hmm. not because he was morally wrong. Uh, and I think that's what you're saying, Shelby, is that, you know, in the church, we, we, we don't work to be saved, but we work out of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Because of our salvation, we work joyfully unto the Lord, and we're called to do that in Christ. And if we don't do that, if, if Shelby sees me in sin, it's not wrong for him to say, brother, you, you're walking in a wayward way, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy your life. Um, am I still saved? If I'm truly in Christ, Yeah. I'm still saved. He's not saying, you know, add these works into your life to be saved. He's saying, add these, you know, add these good works into your life, repent, because then you'll be aligned back with Christ and receive the fullness of life and joy that you're supposed to in Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's a difference there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another one, another, yes. Well, let's just hear it. It's right here. Did Jesus not set the same example whenever the money changes out of the Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Or the seven woes on the Pharisees. I mean, yes. Right. Right. Well, hypocrisy is extremely dangerous because hypocrisy drives people out of the church. Uh, it, it just does. And it doesn't, I mean, we're all hypocrites to a certain degree, but especially people who profess Christ, who are supposed to be living to a you know, that are supposed to have the indwelling Holy Spirit and have a grace to enable us to live to, a, to, a, to, to somewhat of a higher standard. When they see, when the world sees hypocrisy in us, it's like, well, they're absolutely no different than we are. So, so why should I become a Christian? And that, that's, a, that's a big deal. And, and one thing that's important is in verse 14, you see, you see why Paul does this. He says why he does it. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, mm-hmm. I said to Cephas before them all, and you, and you know what he says because you read it, but, but he says, when I noticed that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that's when I had to act because they were, he was leading them essentially in heresy at that point. Exactly. By his actions. Right. Because he's pulling back. When he pulled back from the Gentiles, he was sending a message to everybody watching that I'm pulling away from them because they're not circumcised. And so by do, and that might not seem like a big deal, but by pulling away from Gentiles after he had been fellowshipping with them is telling everybody, you're not circumcised, so I made a mistake by hanging out with you. And now that these Jews are coming from Jerusalem, I'm gonna go hang out with them because they're better than you because they're what? Circumcised, and, you see that? And essentially he was also saying that if you wanna be a part of this group, you you've gotta meet all of the qualifications of a Jew. That's right. 
and, and that, was, that was against, again, the gospel of grace. Right. All right, chapter 2, verse 19, for though I... For through though the law I died, through the law, I should be through, I'm sorry, through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified. This is one of your favorite verses, yeah. isn't it? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 1. Say it with me. Oh, oh foolish, foolish Galatians, Galatians, who has bewitched you? Don't you love that? Paul just giving it to him. Uh, does he who supplies the Spirit, Paul says, to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing in faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? This is considered one of the key verses in Galatians where he bases his, his whole defense of justification by faith on Abraham as the model saying before he ever got circumcision, what he have? Faith. He was, it was counted to him as righteousness. Not, not when he was circumcised in the flesh, but when he believed God, what God said in the covenant that he gave him. Okay, it's very important. 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 317, this is what I mean, this is when he talks about the law a little bit, little bit further in chapter 3. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Because the emphasis when Paul was a rabbi and the emphasis of, of, of Judaism at the time was an overemphasis on what? The law, the law, the law, the law, the Ten Commandments, the oral traditions, the, the, interpreta- the, the rabbinical interpretation of the law, all those hundreds of years through the intertestamental period, all of that oral tradition stacked on top of the law that Christ came in and attacked the whole time that, that, he, that he was uh, on, on the earth in the flesh. So, and Paul is trying to say the law that came all this time after the promise made to Abraham doesn't know the promise that God made to Abraham. Yep. It's still alive and well. The law was just added for transgressions, verse 19. While then the law, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So the, so the Jewish people were given the covenant of the law through Moses, and they had that law until who came? Jesus. Exactly. That's what he's saying. And that, that's, that's probably one of the biggest struggles of understanding the New Testament is the place of the law, and that's why Paul spends so much time on it, because it, 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 is, it is a little difficult to grasp. Yeah. 3.24, sorry about that. So then the law was our guardian. Uh, I believe that Stringfellow uses the term schoolmaster. Mm-hmm guardian until Christ came in, that should be order, not odor, sorry, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So the law was a guardian. The law was a schoolmaster. Uh, it, it, it increased the realization of your need for Jesus um, we've all, have we, most of us had parents, right? And what's the primary thing that our parents did to us growing up, hopefully, taught us what from what? Right from wrong, exactly. So the law teaches us clearly. If there's any, if there's any guesstimating in your mind, all of us have a moral compass that we're kind of born with, right? It's wrong to take somebody else's wife. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to, to do this and do that. But over time, we can get confused if we sin a couple times and our conscience becomes hardened to that. But the law takes all the guesswork out of it, right? Well, officer, I thought, he said, you know, you were speeding, you were going 45 miles an hour. And you say, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know there was a speed limit around here. It was on the sign right back there. It said 45 miles per hour and you're doing 65. So it takes all the guesswork out of it. Yep. 327, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. 
but now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Do y'all know what he's talking about there? Okay, it it took me forever to figure out what he meant there, but this is what he means. Before you became a believer and before you became committed to the word of God, there were probably a lot of things that you had been taught by the world and that you practiced that the world had taught you that then you realized were what? Wrong. And so then you drop, hopefully you drop those habits or you drop those beliefs and you embrace the gospel. Um, I'll tell you one that, that, that my family dealt with was, was uh, racism and racial supremacy. I mean, we, we were taught that there was, in the Mississippi Delta, we were taught that there was one race was better than the other, right? I mean, is that not what evolution teaches us? Yeah. Does it not teach yeah. us that, that one race is superior to the other? Does the Bible teach that? Absolutely not. The Bible teaches us that we're all sinners, all cursed, all created equal in the image of God. So that was one thing when you come to Christ, you realize, hey, racism can have no place in my life. Because the Bible clearly teaches against that. That's the kind of things that he's talking about here. But with the Jews, it was what? I mean, racism was definitely a part of their, of their issue, but they had been raised with the what? With the law, with the law. And so that, that's kind of what he's talking about, all right? And then one of my favorite passages in Galatians 4.16, which says what, Colton? 4.16. Right here. Am I? Oh, yeah, I guess I can do that. Yeah, you can do that. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I just wanted to emphasize it for exactly, you. Exactly, man. That's good. <laughs> cool. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's a good passage. All right. So now let me, let me jump over here back to where we are this evening, if I can find that right quick. And we are at the allegory. Yes, there we are right there. All right. And begin. Okay. So where we are here in Dr. Stringfellow's study is we are in chapter 4, verse 21, where Paul gives us a really interesting comparison between the law and the promise. And he uses the two wives of Abraham to do this. So let's just walk through this. Paul gives an allegorical illustration in verses 21 through 31, and he is simply using the Old Testament doctrinal events to make the point. The facts of Paul's allegory. Abraham had what? Two sons and two what? Wives. So one, Ishmael, was born by who? Hagar. The other, Isaac, was born supernaturally by who? Sarah. Very good. So the application of Paul's allegory is that Hagar or Hagar, how do you say that, by the way? Anybody know? Hagar. Hagar. Hagar in the south. Hagar. 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 Wasn't there a comic, Hagar the Horrible, a while back? I think there was. Hagar represents the law, while Sarah represents what? The promise, right. Now, y'all remember the story, right? Abraham Abraham became scared he wasn't going to have an heir, even though God had promised him one. And so he takes matters into his own hands, and he has a child with with his wife's maidservant, who was an Egyptian named what? And really, Sarah... Right, Sarah comes to Abraham, right? She encouraged it. Hey, uh, just my maidservant over here, just, you know. Take her. Take her for the air. Have a child. Yes. That's my question. Hagar was not really a wife. She was a bondservant that was given to him by his wife. Right. I I think there may be a distinction where it says that he took her. I I have to look. Man, I, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, right, yeah. and I mean, the two became one flesh, so I mean, it, they, 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 you know, so biblically, biblically, they were married. Yes, Brandon? Either way you look at it, you try to God's promises, it Well, one thing that you, have to, that you have to take seriously about this is, you know, we often talk about uh, decisions, things that we do having far-reaching consequences. Uh, would you say that Hagar... And, and Abraham's offspring has far-reaching consequences to this day. And what far-reaching consequences would that be? Something that we, that we remember just a couple of weeks ago or last weekend. Uh, because Islam claims bloodline to Abraham through Ishmael. Uh, so, so there is no question uh, that, that, that the decision is made here has far-reaching consequences. Far-reaching consequences. So Isaac refers to the spirit and to those who would look to Jesus 
thus becoming free sons. Whoa, wait a minute. Can I just say something real quick? No. Yeah, go ahead. Look, okay, so Genesis 16, just to answer this for us, right. verse, uh, verse 3. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, uh, uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as uh, her husband as a wife. Ah. So, there you go. There, there The is. word settles it. Yep. Okay. So, Hagar represents Mount Sinai, while Sarah represents the Mount of Olives in verse 25. For a believer to miss... Law and grace is to suffer persecution and ridicule, as did Isaac from Ishmael. In the last two chapters, we, did y'all get all that? I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. I mean, it, it's not something that you really need to read that story and look at the Isaiah passage and grapple with it a little bit more deeply to get everything uh, out of that that's there. But it's a really... I mean, the Spirit obviously led Paul to give us that, that allegory, so it's, it's a... You well, know, it's, and it's amazing that Paul makes these theological connections, because yeah. it is true that the promise technically does come down through Isaac, right, and then Jacob, and then the sons, and then Judah, and, and exactly. traces down to Jesus. Right, and the other has been an antagonist, as, as the prophecy said, from then forward, so... Yeah. I think the prophecy... Uh, well, anyway, we, we don't have time. We're going to run out of time. All right, let's keep going. So in the last two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, we have Paul's exhortation to the Galatians. And he says, as rich as it is, we cannot take it verse by verse, but only the highlights. And that's just because it is, it is just full of wonderful stuff. So first, and he, he, he grabs onto one of the more controversial things in here. In verse 4, he says, uh, you are severed from Christ. You are falling from grace. Now, this has been a passage that for centuries people that try to say you can lose your salvation go to. They try to use this passage uh, as they do the one out of Hebrews 6 and they try to say, well, ba- they try to say, well, based on this, you can lose your salvation. That is not uh, what Galatians is saying here. So let's just follow, the, follow the, thought, the thought process of Dr. Stringfellow. The verse does not mean that they have lost their, their salvation because Paul calls these same Galatians what? brethren nine times, and he also calls them children of God in Galatians 3.26, and sons of God in Galatians 4.6, and heirs of the promise in Galatians 3.29. That's why you don't take one passage out of context. I mean, he just gave you the evidence, the argument that we always make here, the reason why we preach and teach through whole books of the Bible is because you can't just pull one verse and build a theology on it. You have to use the few verses above it and you have to use the few verses underneath it because that's the context of the truth of what the verse says. And so here it says, I mean, he's been calling them all the way through the Bible, children of God, heirs of the promise, sons of God. So that's not what this means. So the Greek word here for fallen is found in Acts 27, 17, where it refers to a ship that's not under control. So this is the meaning here in Galatians and it means a falling away or in our day, what would we call it? Right, and is it, is it possible for a Christian to be saved and drift away from, from, the, from the church and from the body? Of course it is. I mean, we've got people on our membership roll right now in this church, and every church in America has got people on their list that have not been in fellowship in the church for years that most likely are truly born again, and they have, to, for whatever reason, they just have not, not come into the flock for a while. And I think something that you mentioned in your Hebrews sermons <clears throat> that, that makes this stand out between a non-believer, someone who is not in Christ and is used to look like they followed Christ, and then someone who's in this category uh, is the fact that they become antagonistic, right. enemy-like toward Christ yeah. and toward the message of Christ. Um, they, they become so embittered and so far away from the church that they are angry and aggressive against anything that has to do with Christ. Right. As opposed to someone who is struggling in their faith, right. um, they have legitimate faith, but they're like a smoldering wick, right, that Christ is not going to put out at some point, he's going to re-embolden that flame, right. and he's going to encourage it, and it's going to grow. And because God is always going to be doing His work of sanctifying us, right? So. Right. Or they could be. I mean, probably one of the more things we see here is, is a relationship where one spouse wants to be fully committed to the church, fully committed to the gospel. The other does not, and so that is there will just be a natural tendency more times than not for the one who is not faithful to drag the other away from the church, than vice versa. Yeah. So. Uh, note note verse, verse 13 and underline, for you were called to what? Freedom, brothers, only mm. to do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. All right? 
after you've read verse 13, notice how Paul lists some 17 works of the flesh resulting from an illegal usage of the law, verses 19 through 21. Let's see where that is. Uh, is that just, that's just the works of the flesh. If you got your Bible, look there right quick. We'll read those. These are, these are a pretty shocking list. Now, the works of the flesh, this is uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. I tell you what, let's back up. What time is it? Okay, yeah, we're fine. Back up a little bit and we'll do, um, but I say walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you doing the things you want to do. So what's he saying there? He's saying that the Spirit and the flesh do what? Fight, right? So, so have you noticed that in your own life? that your flesh and your spirit, the Holy Spirit that's in you and your flesh battle it out on a daily basis, pretty much. I've noticed that. Um, But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. One of the reasons why uh, God, I believe God impressed upon me early on to be in the church, to be in Sunday school, to be faithful is because we need the church's help in this battle against the flesh. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need the structure of the church. I need a Sunday school class. I need Colton. I need Clayton. I need the deacons. I, I need, I need every, all of you to walk with me, yeah. to help me. I mean, I've got the spirit, yes. But as you know, we've still got that indwelling sinful nature in Romans 7. You know what that is, right? Where he says, I, I do the very thing that I hate. I don't want to do it, but I do the very thing that I hate. And I find this, I find this law at work inside me. You know, this indwelling, indwelling sin. And so that's why we have, we have to come. We have, it's not a legalism. It's a desire that we know in our minds that we must, in, in order to stay close and to stay clean and to grow in holiness, we need the help of the church of Jesus Christ. Can you amen that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's the list. <clears throat> the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the way you need to think about that is... um, because, I mean, I, I look at that sometimes and I'm like, wow, you know, I was, I was jealous yesterday. Man, I know I was, I was mad yesterday. I mean, I look at that list and I, and I start to go, gosh, am I saved? But what, he's, what he means here is he doesn't mean an occasional fit of anger. He doesn't mean an occasional little spell of rivalry or jealousy. What does he mean? Practice or a lifestyle of these things, an unrepentant lifestyle of these acts of the flesh continuously. That's what he means by that. He can't mean the other because we got a whole book called 1 John that tells us page after page after page that if we say we are without what, we are liars. If we're without sin, we're liars. We have sin. We're going to sin every day. It's the, do, we, do we repent over it? Do we seek to overcome it? That's, that's what we're looking for. All right, then he says the fruit of the Spirit, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's a good word, good word, good chapter. So the Spirit, just to go back on what we just talked about there, the Spirit always produces living fruit. Colton, why don't you take over for a minute? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say um, just a really cool quote when I was studying today to the, Spirit empowering, uh, the Spirit's empowering presence grants believers the ability to conquer the desires of the flesh. So that's kind of another way to sum that up. Um, but liberty in Christ, uh, the Spirit always produces living fruit, uh, which is what we uh, read through, love, divine concern for others. Um, and love is one of the primary Christian attributes that we look for in a, in a Christian, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the main things that we see defines God's character, right? Even though he demonstrates his love just as much as he does his wrath and justice and righteousness, but, but we do define him. We have in, again, First John, God is love, right? Uh, so that's awesome. So love, divine concern for others, joy, uh, inward peace, 
peace, uh, a confidence, and quietness. How many of you guys love peace? Want sure. peace? Need love more it. peace in Need your it. life? Yeah. Well, that's when we walk in the Spirit, right? And we trust in the Lord and we Be ask for peace. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, yeah. Long-suffering, patience, endurance. Hey, look, I've got a, a tip for you on this one too. If you are asking God for help with patience, also include this prayer as well. God, please give it to me gently, right? You don't, you don't want him to put the full spout on you for long-suffering, so uh, couple that prayer with it. Um, so again, the Spirit always produces living fruit. Uh, gentleness, uh, and that kind of couples with kindness, goodness, uh, love in action, faith, things not seen. That's a definition for faith there for you. Uh, meekness, subdued strength, and yep. temperance, self-control, which I really like his kind of added definition on there for each one of those. Right, and always remember when you look at these fruits of the Spirit, if, if you ever like can't memorize them all or whatever, the really simple thing to always remember is who, who should we bec- be becoming more and more like the older we get? Christ. And who exemplified all of these fruits to perfection? Christ. So just remember, if you can't remember all the fruits of the Spirit, just remember my, my life should reflect, be a reflection of Jesus more and more the longer I live. Or you can use a cool, catchy song. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now it's stuck. It's stuck. They're going to sing it. They're going to leave here. That's what they're going to remember. Terrible. That's all they're going to remember. Okay. It is a verse, though, so that's good. No, I'm not going to sing it, it again. It was like that. <laughs> Ask me later. <laughs> it was like that sermon when I gave them the old the illustra- or the story about me yeah. paying for that expensive dating service. They didn't remember anything else about the sermon except the fact that I paid three thousand dollars for a dating service. Turkeys, right? Turkeys in the first yeah, sermon. That's yep. it. I still yep. remember that. Yeah. I can't remember what the sermon content was though. I don't either. Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Uh, so again, we're still in liberty in Christ. Uh, there are duties and liberties that we have as believers, and you will find these listed in chapter 6. Now, when he says duties and liberties, um, we have a duty. The very first thing that you see in chapter 6 is that we have, a, we have a call on our lives as believers. If we see our brothers or sisters in sin, caught up in sin, right, they are, they are deceived, they are ensnared, and the, the most unloving thing that we could do for our brother or our sister is to l- neglect them and leave them where they are, believing that they're okay, continuing to walk down the path they're walking down. Um, I, I just, I hope with all of my heart that if like Shelby or Clayton or one of you guys saw me in a, in a continuous sin struggle that I was dis- clearly deceived by, you know, let's just say I was just haphazard and careless about it, then you would know, okay, he's clearly deceived in this trajectory, this, this course that he's walking, and, and I need to help him. Uh, I need to show him his error, kind of like Nathan showed David. And David was so blind, he thought the story was true, and he was about to go kill the dude who took the guy's lamb. And he's like, you're the man, David. You're the one who did it. And he's like, oh my gosh, it was me. Yep. Um, and we need each other in order to do that. Uh, but also, we have a liberty of, uh, of a service and a love toward those in need. And you, will, uh, and you will find this emphasized in the first few verses in chapter 6. And then even the last few verses are packed with striking words from the lips of Paul. But we call your attention only to the last two verses, uh, 17 here. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And I love, I love what he says about the marks of Christ. Uh, it's really good here. The marks of the Lord Jesus, which Paul uh, had on his body, were the marks of the people who had been branded as slaves, a mark of ownership, soldiers, a mark of allegiance, devotees, a mark of uh, consequence, criminals, a mark of exposure, uh, and the abhorred, a mark of reproach. Uh, Paul had all five of these. Yep. He had been battered and bruised in such a way that his body had uh, permanent scars, he had been stoned in Lystra, dragged out, uh, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. You guys remember that one? Yeah. All right. He was out, uh, dragged out and left for dead. Uh, he had been whipped five times by the Jews and had three floggings by Roman soldiers. Sounds mm-hmm. like a fun time, right? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, Paul had much suffering for the sake of the gospel. He had been assaulted by mobs and ambushed by enemies. All of these left marks on Paul's body 
But why does he mention these brands at the end of the Galatian, uh, the Galatian letter? One reason is to uh, indicate by the fact that I is uh, emphatic. I bear in my body the brands of the Lord Jesus. Paul here draws a contrast between himself and the Judaizing teachers who were subverting the Galatian believers. These men were uh, big talkers, but they did not bear any brands or marks of the Lord Jesus in their person as Paul did. I think that this is like, when he, I I had to highlight that. I thought that that was such a good point, that these guys that are coming in, these uh, sleek, smooth talkers that are coming in and deceiving the Galatian churches, what do they lack? The fruit? Marks. Marks. Evidence of the persecution. Evidence, right? I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Like, like most of the time, the people that complain the most are the ones that are the least involved. Yeah, you know, absolutely. People that are involved in the midst of it, fighting, serving, trying to advance the kingdom of God, they're so busy trying to serve Jesus and do what's right that they don't have time to complain and gripe. But folks that are on the outside that just observing, they're the ones like criticizing everything, but they're doing nothing. Right, and you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go against the status quo. And I can't think of the verse right now, and I'd have to look it up in Galatians, but he talks about if I was still preaching circumcision, if I was still, if that was still my message, I wouldn't be persecuted like I am. He's making the point, I'm preaching to you Christ, the truth, and that's why I'm persecuted and I bear these marks on my body because it's the truth and the truth is being persecuted. Um, so let's see here. All, uh, all of these left marks on Paul's body, um, but uh, let's see, am I, where am I, I here? Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Uh, a second reason why Paul mentions these brands, uh, brand marks is found in the emphasis that they are the brand marks of the Lord Jesus. He is drawing a contrast between the marks of Jesus and the marks of Moses, huh. uh, which is circumcision. Now, that's interesting, man. And I thought that, that one was that, good, too. That's pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. I don't know that I've ever, ever heard anybody draw that, draw that distinction before, but that is very interesting. Right, very interesting. right. And uh, remind me of the, when he says, when Paul says that I'm filling up uh, what's lacking in the body of Christ, the scars. I think it's probably 2 Corinthians. Yeah. Probably. And he's not saying that anything's lacking in God's, uh, in Christ's salvific work, Um, but he's saying that I'm I'm fulfilling the mission that Christ came to inaugurate on the earth. The the mission that Christ started, he provided the, the means of salvation and we're preaching it. That's what Paul was saying, but, but again, this is the reason he bears these marks on his body to fulfill the mission that Christ started, the spark. Any, that he have started. any of y'all got scars on your body, like, like, like on your hands or arms or anything? And when you, when, you, when you look at that scar, you remember like what it was that caused it, right? I, I almost Good cut story. my finger off with a, with a grinder my, uh, when I was about 18 in the summertime. And I mean, I always tell my kids that story about that, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying that the scars that he, ha- that he has are directly related to the fact that he has suffered for the gospel, suffered yeah. for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And he draws the same conclusion in 2 Corinthians, and we've already been through this, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. Uh, he he uh, reiterates and goes through all of the suffering he had gone through for Christ. Yeah. Circumcision is the mark of Moses and speaks of servitude uh, to a, a legal system. The marks of Jesus, our Lord, are those of glad, free, voluntary service. And I love that too. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that we forget as Christians, I think that we feel like we have to bear this heavy burden because we're so prone to legalism. Just like the Galatians were, it, it, we like things that we're called to and that we can do and can contribute. We don't like hearing the words, we can't contribute anything. And you and, you and I cannot contribute anything to our salvation. On that end, before we are saved, we are, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He wasn't just a tutor, right, that just kind of like smacks you on the back of the legs when you're doing something bad, right, to try to get you better, right? Jump higher, jump higher, jump higher. You know, that's not it, right? He came to make dead people alive. And dead people can't bring themselves back to life. They need someone to do that for them. uh, And that's Christ. He did that. And we don't like that because it means that we have to completely and wholly depend on someone. Uh, but, but let us depend, because then when we do that, we're free. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what he says in, in chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. We're free in Christ, so let us be glad and rejoice. And it's a voluntary service. It's a beautiful thing yep. that we get to live in the gospel. A third reason 
why Paul speaks here of these brand marks is found in the, in the words, from henceforth, let no man trouble, trouble thee, trouble me, Galatians 6, 17. All of the trouble had come thus far in this book from the false teachers who were per, uh, perverting the young faith of Paul's converts. In these words, Paul is saying that if any of these false teachers have any sense of honesty or honor, they will at least drop their tricks of trying to destroy the faith that Paul has preached. Yeah, and it's, when you think about this, it, it, it's hard to get your mind around it, or at least it was for me when I first learned of the, of the great battle between the Judaizers and Paul in that, but it, it really was, like from, from the outside looking in, I mean, here Paul is, you know, beaten, battered, scarred up, poor looking. I mean, we've seen descriptions of what he looked like physically. I mean, he just was, was Paul much to look at? No. I mean, he would not be on the cover of GQ. I mean, I can assure you, but, but the Judaizers, okay. They were from the Jerusalem church. Most of them were probably legacy temple people or Judaizers or whatever. And so when they came up, do you think they were dressed a little bit better than Paul? You think they were maybe even a little bit better spoken than Paul, maybe a little bit cleaner than Paul probably didn't smell nearly as bad as Paul, I can assure you. And so they come up. So if you were an outside looking in, like whenever you go into a, into a department store to an office building, if somebody walks up to you in a pair of shorts and t-shirt and somebody walks up to you in a suit and tie, who do you think is the boss? Suit and tie. Is that always the case? No, exactly. So it's, the, it's this appearance, it's this appearance. And that's the thing that you have to be careful about false teachers, especially, especially in like, like today in this celebrity, um, the celebrity pastor, celebrity teacher environment that we have. Man, if they're beautiful, if they're handsome, if they're well-spoken, if they're dressed really nice, what do we think about them? This is who we need right. to follow. This is who we need to follow. He or she must have the truth. This has got to be, is that always the case? No, because Satan masquerades as a what? Angel of light. And that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, Paul makes that very clear. So you you have these Judaizers that have come up with this theology that on the surface, that on the surface sounds to the ear very acceptable. I mean, all they're doing is just saying that if we really want to experience the promise in Jesus, we just need to get circumcised and adhere to the law. I mean, that's been around for, for centuries. My grandfather did that. That's no big deal. We, we should be able to, to add that to the gospel. What does Paul say? No. no. It is by faith alone so that no man can boast. Yes, Brandon? So I didn't hear you. Right. Right, part, part, part of God's truth, exactly. Yeah, and I love, you know, you think about Jesus and his teaching, um, especially in the beginning of his ministry. Uh, you know, what does Jesus teach the crowds? He tells them that you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they say, man, Jesus, this teaching is hard. Mm-hmm. And so many of them leave. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes this isn't always a mark of genuineness or authenticity, but when you see a movement that's growing like a mustard seed that starts out small, and it slowly grows, but then it becomes something larger and grand and beautiful. Uh, that's something, for me at least, that seems more legitimate and trustworthy than something that springs up overnight. And, you know, like you were saying, Shelby, with these megachurch pastors, I'm not saying that every megachurch pastor is uh, heretical or right. you shouldn't follow them or listen to anything that they say. Right. But you definitely need to make sure that you're listening to their theology and what they say, because more often than not, we are drawn to, like a moth to the flame, mm-hmm. we are drawn to things that are ecstatic, things that are impressive things that are sleek and smooth and sound good, we're drawn to that. We like that. Uh, right, and, and you can even see, I mean, and, and the evidence of what you're saying is, is, is right because you even saw, I mean, how many of y'all would think Peter would be easily intimidated just by what you know about him in, in the Gospels? I mean, not, probably not, you know? But yet a young maiden, the night that Jesus goes behind, you know, to, before the Sanhedrin, scares him into denying Christ, and then now here he is at Antioch hanging out with Gentiles, but as soon as the Jerusalem boys come up, what happens? He removes himself from Gentiles out of fear of, 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 the Jerusalem, of his Jerusalem buddies. I mean, so, so it's, it's just, um, 
No one, no one is immune from the temptation of, of that. And so, so you, we have to stay on top of that. We have to watch each other's theology closely, and we have to walk in accountability with each other. This is serious business. Yeah. Theology, Christ, the church, it, it, it is eternal, serious business. And I mean, it, 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 just for instance, I mean, the, I mean, what did Paul say? If who tells you any other gospel? If an angel from heaven brings to you any other gospel other than what we have brought to you, may the angel be accursed. That's serious. And what does Paul say in the very beginning of the letter? In the very, very beginning of the letter, in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. And then you fast forward a little bit and go down to verse 10, and what does he say again? For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I mean, this is how dangerous, and, and Paul draws the distinction clearly. He says, if you are going to be a man pleaser, you are not going to be a Christ pleaser. Absolutely. And that is a, that's, that is, for me, someone who struggles with that, that is huge, you know, because I want to please my king. I don't want to please men. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that, that's I mean, that, that's, that, and that's a good diagnostic tool for you too. You, if you want to know how you're coming along in your faith and your maturity, uh, you ask yourself this question whenever you're faced, whenever you're faced with a judgment call and, and to make a decision on something, ask yourself this question. Am I seeking the approval of man or God? Who, who, who am I actually, who am I serving here? Where is my allegiance? Is my allegiance with man or with God? Amen. All right. So we should bear the marks of the Lord Jesus in ourselves and never be ashamed of bearing some reproach for Christ's sake. Never be afraid of bearing some marks in our bodies. Never, ever, ever. And you know, it's just, I mean, you said it. I mean, do we have scars? I mean, I, I don't have any scars for preaching the gospel, you know? And it's like, we live in an area. You're young. <laughs> right, I am, I am. <laughs> They're and yeah, coming, trust I, me. I like the distinction you made there. You know, there can be some spiritual uh, scarring, you know, not You've physically. You've got scars coming, believe me. But um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's a different distinction in our day. Paul lived in a different context. When I was your age, I had no scars when I was 30. Yeah, none. My scars didn't come until about mid, midway through my thirties. Wait a minute, I do not, have not, a, not I do to, have one now. <laughs> <laughs> not, not not to like you know try to rain on your parade or anything, but I'm I'm just telling you. I mean, no, it, yeah, no, I'm it, fresh and I, I love that. Yeah, I'm exactly. undaunted right now. That's it. It's a good uh, thing. We, we are to the end of. Hey, the, could I read? Can I read like one passage from Galatians to close us out? And it's going to be so fast. Well, we got questions. You want to do that, and then the questions are. Let, let's let's read this, and then yeah, we'll do the okay. questions because right. it'll be a great refresher. And I read your pack. Oh, yeah, it, it's so short, you, you you might even miss it. Okay. Okay. So Galatians five verse one, and I just love this. Just let it ring in your heart. For freedom, say it with me. For, For freedom, freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Christ set us free. Mm, I just oh, I love that. It's good stuff. It is. Yeah, man. Okay. It is. I can remember when I was set free, the, the main thing that I remember being set free from, because I don't really, I can't relate to being a Jew and the law and the festivals right. and all that, but I remember being freed from the elemental spirits. I remember that. Yep. Uh, all the false philosophies and the false, uh, the false beliefs that I had. I remember that. Right. But the thing that I remember more than anything being freed from is the guilt of my sin. Mm. and the, the guilt of the things that I had done that hurt other people. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I had a burning desire to go back and try to make amends to those that I could, yeah. that I knew where they were, who they were, and those types of things. And I did, many of them, but many of them I couldn't. Some of them had, had, had died, and there were different things. But, but, but the, freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ, if that, if, that, if that term doesn't mean anything to you, freedom in Christ, you really need to, you really need to check your heart and your soul uh, because, because true Christians know exactly what they've been freed from, amen? We, yeah. we know what we're, what we're freed from, and we don't use that freedom to sin. We don't use that freedom. Now, now we're going to sin, okay, because we're human beings in, in this flesh and in, in this time in our lives. We're, we're going to sin, but we don't use our freedom as a cover-up or a mechanism to plan and to plot 
sinful, debaucherous behavior yeah. because that's that's what wolves do. And yeah. so we're not wolves. And and one other thing with that, I, I do though. I talk to I talk to believers. You know, we have in in the counseling room. Uh, I have people that I talk to that they 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 don't. You can say. I can sit here and say, I believe in the grace of Christ and that I've been forgiven of my sin. But when you actually go to apply that and live in that freedom and say, I'm not guilty anymore. Yeah. That, that, when you step into that and you say, I, I, Christ has set me free and I am free indeed. The son has set me free. And, and, and you'll know that you're starting to actually believe that when the sins of the past don't haunt you anymore. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they stop screaming as loudly as they used to. Yeah. And you can say, man, I'm letting these, these sins go. The these other way you'll know too is like through all the peacemaker stuff is, is that when, when somebody offends you, I mean, if it's not something that really needs to be addressed, you, you will find that over, overlooking, letting love cover the mm, offense yeah. just beca- will, will grow and become better and better in you, especially, good. I, I, know, I know with family members, yeah. uh, those that you are closest to, that is exercised on a, on a, on a more regular basis. And you know, when, when you're able to, when the offense happens and you're like, should I address that or should I not address that? And then I can quickly, just somehow that supernatural grace of God just allows me to release it mm. and just move on. And Amen. I really don't think about it again unless it's like an habitual offense that happens all the time. Right. And I'm like, this is not, I mean, I mean I, I'm forgiving this person of this, but this is probably, this is probably something that needs to be addressed for the well-being of the person that continues to offend me, not necessarily me. It's, and so it's, it's, that, it's, that, that, it's the freedom that you have in Jesus is absolutely miraculous. Yeah. Because I can remember before, the vengefulness is what came natural. Right. Vengefulness, getting somebody back is what came natural. Right. But now forgiveness is what comes natural. The, the traffic outburst principle is, is kind of the same there. It's, you know, you're, you're driving down the street and someone does something, they cut you off or they pass you in the wrong lane. You're like, oh man, you big idiot, you know, and you, you have this outburst. And then literally as you're like outbursting toward them, you do the same thing. <laughs> to someone else and uh you know and it happens all the time in my car um you know and so it's my last place of total sanctification I'm still working on it but um but you know the same thing happens from what you the principle you're talking about you know I get angry I get mad at people and then I I when I God's grace gives me that pause moment Mm -hmm. where I'm like okay let's think about this for a minute I know I'm a sinner goodness gracious I can see my sins from the past and man Christ has forgiven me a, a multitude of times and an amount I can't even fathom. Mm-hmm. And how much more should I just forgive this person of this mm-hmm. petty sin? You know, it's, awesome. it's just, it's amazing. Yep. Yep. All right. Questions. We are getting close. Uh, what is the general message of the book of Galatians? Christ has set us free. Beautiful. Gal- the Galatians were a branch of Gauls or Gauls. Celts. Yep. Or is it Celts? Celts. 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 I think, Celts, I think you're okay. right. Does the Galatian epistle contain any word of praise or thanksgiving or commendation? No. What did Paul call the Galatians? Fools. Exactly. What did Paul bear in his body? Marks of Christ. Beautiful.